Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Solomon Arnold. For many, their introduction to the ballroom culture came from the film Paris is Burning. This 1990 documentary chronicles the ball culture of New York and the African-American, Latino, gay, and transgender communities involved in it. The film explored the elaborately structured ball competitions, but the ball culture is so much more than elaborately structured competitions. Joining Collections today is a member of the ballroom culture who has attained the status of being one of the best of the best, a legend, icon Solomon Arnold Infinity. His many ballroom recognitions include being included into the Midwest Awards Ball Hall of Fame as the only recipient to date to receive the Eric Christian Bizarre Breakthrough Award in 2002, being deemed a legend for Bizarre Bazaar in 2004, and deemed an icon for community outreach as the Blueprint in 2016. He was recently inducted into the Ballroom Scene Radio Hall of Fame 2017 to 2018. He doesn't take his ballroom status lightly, recognizing that with the status comes great responsibility, using it to advocate for the LGBTQ community and social justice. As a tool for fighting the HIV epidemic, Solomon pioneered the concept of getting ball participants screened at a ball in Chicago to fight back against the HIV epidemic. This led to a central focus of helping implement and facilitate programming and trainings for mentoring ballroom participants to enhance their personal development and category excellence. He founded In Demand Entertainment, in 2002, IDE's mission is to bridge the gap between public health and social service organizations and underserved populations who are in need, at risk, and often hard to reach as a means for community empowerment. For his efforts to advance social justice and equality for the LGBTQ community, Solomon was also recognized in 2012 by the Coalition for Justice and Respect as a community warrior. In 2013, he was appointed by the Gay Liberation Network as co-chairperson for the March on Springfield for Marriage Equality, which attracted over 5,000 people. Solomon earned his Associates of Arts degree at Olive Harvey College with a certificate in Black Studies. He also earned 
a Bachelor of Arts degree in communications with a concentration in radio and television broadcasting at Chicago State University. An icon, even in academia, Solomon graduated with the highest honors as a valedictorian and a presidential scholar from Olive Harvey College and graduated in the top 1% of the Honors and Arts and Sciences Colleges as summa cum laude from Chicago State University. Solomon, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I couldn't be any better. Uh, I'm telling you. I mean, that white there. I mean, you know, how well you've done in in everything. I mean, it seems like you're a very high achiever. But what you've done in, in academia, I mean, that is just like so impressive. Many people look at Chicago and they look at, you know, always say there's youth of violence. Their schools have issues, there's this and that. But, you know, here you are saying you went to Chicago schools and you have gone on to achieve academic excellence in more than one arena. What was the, who was the wind beneath your wings? What said, you know, do this other stuff, but school is important? Well, you know, first and foremost, I have to say that whether consciously or subconsciously, God is always the movement and the mission that I'm set to achieve. Adversity is always uh, the cause and ability for a person to to grow and endure. Um, my family even, despite being the causation of some of my hardships, like being homeless at 15, were also my inspiration to persevere despite my hardships, to stay in the high school, to graduate on time to persevere and to eventually um, build up the courage to make financial commitments that ended up not even existing by going to college, thankfully because of and dependent on financial aid, and to be able to do it like no other Arnold could ever do with a 4.0, with being mm-hmm. valedictorian, with being an extension of my many us uncles that have all received college degrees, become college professors, uh, lawyers, corporate officials, and, and, and even my own father being a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Jerome Arnold, from the Paul Butterfield mm-hmm. Blues Band in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it seems like excellence is in your, in your blood. But you know what? That is, is so important because, you know, here in Michigan, we have like the Ruth Ellis Center, and we have a lot of kids who, you know, maybe at 15... 16, some even younger, find themselves trying to make a way and not thinking that they can achieve. And, and, you know, we all hear the stories of young people who basically give up, but you didn't. I mean, you didn't. You just sort of hung in there. What, you know, and you talk about, you know, your faith, you know, and even how now when you go back and you look at that, was there a time that as you achieved this academic excellence that your family sort of came back and said, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen with you, but you know, you hung in there and that now that I'm sure they have to be like so proud. They are. Um, Self-doubt is actually uh, one of the roots to people being unable to even try. 
I think mm-hmm. that um, one of my um, painstakingly um, clear efforts in everything I've ever done is that I was never afraid to try. I was never afraid to be bolder than out with my family, with my church, with my own perception of identity, and especially with the people that I either knew very closely or didn't know at all. Because what I figured was, in order for me to be successful, whether in school, in business, in ballroom even, I would have to be what we call unbothered, unapologetic, and absolutely and positively assertive. And so, yes, I did have to surprise a few people about my abilities (laughs) to overcome Mm -hmm. hardship with or without them. But I am glad to know, despite the fact that it took my grandmother passing, who raised me, or at least in part to my grandfather, who also then passed two years later, many, many moons ago, that we as a family were able to come together, reconcile our differences, and move on closer than ever to be able to do whatever it is that we can to extend not just our own legacies, but the legacies of those before us. You know, one of the other things that I like about you that, and in reading about you is that you do recognize the responsibility that you have. Like you, like you said, you know, you're not, many people would be happy to sit back on their laurels. Hey, I was, I graduated with the, you know, a 4.0, I'm summa cum laude, you know, I'm an icon, I'm done, you know, I'm going to do me. But what you do is, you know, you talk about how you recognize that with this came a huge responsibility. Was there any particular incident or was it like seeing others who were around you who didn't have uh, the wherewithal to do this, who looked to you that made you recognize that, you know what, I'm not just going to sit here, I'm going to give back and lift others up. Well, first of all, doing nothing has never been an option. It's never been an option mm-hmm. for me, and it's not an option for the college for just and respect. Um, but what it did do in seeing some of its own challenges was inspired me to want to create a better opportunity for others and to be able to create better circumstances for others. That's why I founded In Demand Entertainment in 2002. Um, essentially, what that came from and how it was led to was from basically being this young, queer, unassuming role model that I never thought to be, where I was positively impacting people's lives and developing their skill sets just by simply being myself, modeling certain behaviors, and being able to advocate for self first before trying to advocate for someone else. And so basically, as this sort of boldly... Um, noticeably gay and then eventually better understanding two-spirited person that did not need to and would not need to submit to the social constructs of any category that I could basically lead the way, not just for gender non-conforming people or even trans people, but lead the way for all black people in particular. I say all black people in particular despite being biracial because black is all I've ever known and it's all I'll mm-hmm. ever love. You know, that's interesting because, you know, now, I mean, many people identify uh, as being biracial, but like you said, you know, for the most part, when people see you, when you walk into a space, they see your black face. They don't go like, well, you know, what's your, 
who was your mother, who was your dad, you know, they see you as a, a black person walking into that. Now, you know, one of the things that I think that's really interesting is because you took what you did and how you walk into it. Those who give, you know, donors and stuff, they look at these black youth and they're quick to talk about, oh, look at them dance. You know, like this is like so cool. They can dance, but not taking it seriously and not recognizing that these are artists, that they are expressing themselves through their dance, through what they're doing, like, um, you know, in their, how they make sure how they're going to look, how they present themselves, and that these are skills that are transferable, perhaps not in the, in the traditional way, but as you have confidence, as you present yourself, you know, this is how you get ahead in life. How have, have you ever found that, you know, there's a wall and people not wanting to take you seriously or where you have to sort of say, hey, look, I am the real deal. This might not be how, through your prism, you're expecting people to do it, but I am accomplishing, doing, I am just as valued. This is my form of expression. You have to take yourself seriously. You have Mm -hmm. to recognize your own power from within. These agencies and organizations, which are the antithesis of why I created one, are only interested in capitalizing off of young blood, a less than a less, about anything but how they can further establish themselves and their organization through the numbers that they're able to ascertain doing outreach and particularly and especially HIV testing. That's the very reason why I diversified my efforts and made sure that even though I was very concerned with the HIV academic, that I didn't inclusify it to or make it exclusive to how I could help. Um, there was different things that I experienced as an individual that made me realize that ballroom within itself is a response to the oppression of society and mm. basically is a significant measure of social justice and equality. It gets no bolder than out than walking a ball. If you're on the DL, afraid that someone may capture your image on, on film, if you are a trans woman and you've been working so hard to develop yourself and what you identify as acceptable as representing in the female identity, if you are an artist and have been working on a piece or a project, whether a, a, a garment or a prop or a costume or a production uh, setup for so long, It's like you're afraid at one point to share your talents and your your labors of love to the world. But yet in ballroom, with it being technically an underground scene, you you have a little bit of comfort and familiarity that this is a safe space just for me, for me to be who I am and celebrate my talents. And so thereby, I will be bolder than out to walk this ball. And because I have achieved some success in ballroom, some will then transfer that and say, and I now have the confidence to do more than just walk a ball. And I will go to the people that should be coming to me and showing them my talent and my superiority and ability to be far better than what's available in the industry, to then become a part of the industry and to persevere in that circumstance as well. But it's not easy. 
because basically the self-doubt that I spoke of earlier is connected to what is put in the media. And what mm. is put in the media is put there strategically by those who run it. And because they are putting this in there, it's so that you don't become the runners. They want you to keep running away from whatever it is that you could be achieving in your progress so that they can remain in control. And my thought process is, is that whether that connects to white superiority, heteronormativity, transphobia, what have you, at the end of the day, you can be the power within and you can meet all of your potential and make your dreams come true, but you have to first get your tens. And so even though how you get your tens at a ball is by walking up and presenting yourself to the judges, you also need to be getting your tens in school by getting the 4.0, getting your tens at the church to be unapologetically gay and in love with God, to be able to get your tens at work by letting white people know who are trying to tell black people how to work with black people that, no, honey, I know better than you whether you're the mm -hmm. manager or not, whether you have the degree or not, whether you have the statistical data to back you up or not, that you can get your chance in every step and in every way, but you have to first prepare yourself. These young kids are unequipped and unprepared for the HIV epidemic, for the homeless epidemic, for all of the different obstacles that are happening around them, merely because they think that either it doesn't affect them somehow or that they have no way of making a difference somehow. And I proved that to be false when I got 50 youth to go to the March on Springfield for marriage equality amongst the 5,000 that arrived in 2013, helping us legalize same-sex marriage in Illinois. And then just the next year, nationally in the entire country. Tell me I don't mm. know what I'm doing. That's right. That's right. You know, and that's a really important thing because I have talked to a lot of young people, some who are involved in the ball culture, and, you know, and that's what they say. And also, in their house, it's like their family. And where maybe they have been like all the rest of it, it's like saying, like, no, you can't. Or not. And like you said, here it is. Like they step out, they bring their A game, and they do it. And there's a level of confidence. And they look at their house as being part of their their family, part and the ones that are people I know who have gone on to accomplish a whole lot of things have gone back and they said, but you know what? It was at that ball in that house where I got that love, that confidence, that approval, and even if my stuff wasn't like on point, that criticism to make me strive to do better, you know, and that's so important. But when you talk to, I was talking to someone who was going to one of these, well, how can we help, you know, these kids feel like the organization kids and bring them in, to bring in things that are part of their real culture and to understand that. And, you know, it goes hand in hand. You wouldn't, part of you is what you did in school, but part of you is also being the icon. You wouldn't be Absolutely. both. I mean, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. Where a society does try to compartmentalize your identity, you are you everywhere you go. So like, like at a job, I strive to learn as much as I can as a scholar because I know that's going to help me do better at my job. Um, mm -hmm. one, one thing that, that I would like to, to speak on in terms of the uh, purpose and the existence of house, 
particular the ones that I'm connected to, starting with joining in the ballroom community in 1998 at the Bugari, a house mm-hmm. that was founded in Detroit, and then transitioning shortly after in 2002 as Mother Infinity um, for the House of Infinity, which I now have helped turn into an icon house founded in 1990, the same year as Paris is Burning, that it was featured mm-hmm. in, featuring mm-hmm. the founder, Ross Infinity, who passed in 2014 and unfortunately um, didn't get a chance to see certain things come to light, like me becoming an icon, um, but essentially me being invested in his legacy and fulfilling his dying wish that I would not let his house um, sort of dismantle in his absence, that as the overall mother, I would run the 14 chapters that I then extended to an international chapter in Paris in a way mm-hmm. that would prove that we're not just a house, but a family and a nonprofit business, that we mm-hmm. are the work that needs to be done for the people that we are, not the outsider observing and capitalizing, but the authoritator and expert in everything that we do. And so as an infinity, transitioning from being the Chicago chapter mother in 2002 to being the Midwest mother in 2005 to being the overall mother in 2008, I have been able to show in a very short amount of time what a leader looks like, Mm. what it means to be what would then become an icon? What would it be to be a founder, to be a pioneer? A lot of the leaders in the Barmer community do not have the attributes and qualities necessary to lead children and young people the right, down the right path. They're unfortunately involved in all these different things that they give them their own way of success and progress. When you reside under the idea that you are an outcast, ostracized from society, and function that way in secret on the DL, even if I'm being your preference, or only functioning at a ball, because that's your comfort zone, meaning you're never really being challenged, only functioning uh, sort of like in the the realm of, I don't even get up until 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm up until 4 and 5 in the morning. Well, no good can really come to you professionally after midnight, okay? Mm. Now, unless you're a professional for real. And I'm talking about <laughs> a professional, <laughs> professional, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. So my whole thing is, is that, okay, fine. You're a professional. Be the best professional you can be. But get on prep. Be mm. prepared for that profession if you're going to be selling your body. Let's, let's just go ahead and say it. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Be prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that promotion you want by having that degree, if that's what you want. Be prepared to be able to go and uh, and surpass the competition and secure a booking from an audition if that's what you want to secure. But don't sit up here and just walk a ball and just uh, lay around your house until it's time to uh, go to the club or whatever it is that you do and then complain about who got into office when you didn't even vote. The fact that we were encouraging people to get registered and encouraging people to get active in the initiative that we were doing, which was get out the vote, okay, which is how we were able to get people like Obama uh, elected in the first place and then, and then a second time even. You know, so don't, don't, don't sit back and complain about I'm overlooked. I've been walking balls and doing this and doing that, and I haven't been given my status. 
You don't have to be given anything. That's the problem right there. Everybody is not meant to be an employee. Everybody should be a member. Everybody is not meant to be recognized. Some people have to just be. And so that's what I've always done. I've always just been myself. And that is what I think is the easiest and strongest tool of mentoring in encouraging other young people to just be themselves, figure out who you are, and then see what you're here to achieve. You know, um, and also it sounds like to me, and and the thing that gets to me is like there's that cultural appropriation, where is that stereotyping, where empower, shall we say, who want to look at young people and sort of say, well, you're just supposed to be this and that and the other, but also instead of you're celebrating the greatness of and asking people to reach it to where, I mean, sometimes you hear people and it sounds like, okay, well, black youth, well, of course they're going to do this. And, you know, that's cultural appropriation. It's not respecting the history of it. You're talking about a house that's been around 1990, all over the world, all these different chapters, the people you have lifted up who have gone on to do in their various field, whatever that field it is, but you're showing them how to be the best at it. And, you know, how important is that? What do you do to make sure to, to fight that? I mean, I know that you were at Creating Change. And I thought that that was, when Creating Change was in Chicago, how important it was that that is part of the LGBTQ community, not as something, you know, separate or, you know, entertaining. It is a vital part of a community, recognizing that, to have that platform, and then to continue it on. How do you find, like, sometimes, like, mainstream, even black LGBTQ organizations to sort of get them on board with like, hey, we are all kinds, we are all involved in all types, this is part of our culture, take it seriously? Nothing important is easy to achieve. The Mm -hmm. House of Infinity has been involved in the National LGBTQ Task Force organization and the Creating Change Conference that has been going on many years for at least Mm -hmm. the last decade where we have toured with them from state to state where the conferences have been held to host the Agent of Change Ball. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that um, Chicago was the hosting city the year that I was deemed there as an icon for community outreach in 2016 that we were able to sort of highlight some of the successes we had already achieved. But it was actually work that had been done long before. Um, And it also did sort of put an exclamation on some of the work we were already doing with our local conferences, like the World AIDS Day Youth Conference in 2009, funded by the Chicago Department of Public Health, Um, like the um, Just Youth Conference, funded by the Cora Center in Stroger Hospital, and that was just this past year in 2017. So, yes, Creating Change is an amazing conference, a huge opportunity, uh, um, you know, definitely something to aspire to, but it's not the, the, the beginning and end 
mm-hmm. of what really needs to be done in conferences. Because honestly, when you're charging $150 to participate in the conference, what you're doing is you're ostracizing the very people you need to reach. Join the Boulder the Now Conference for free, where you can attend the ball at Chicago State on Friday, April the 6th, just simply by going to the CJR um, Resource Center um, to connect with some opportunities from employment to you know, job readiness training, prep education, or what have you, uh, or even coming just directly to the ball, which is going to be on campus, in the student union, in the rotunda, 9501 South King Drive, Chicago, Illinois, 60628, to get tested <laughs> by Howard mm-hmm. Brown, you know, for HIV, um, to know your status before trying to earn your status is how I, how I put it. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to make more informed decisions, whether that's to get on PrEP or to, uh, if positive, to get on treatment, um, and to ultimately help us get to zero, to get to okay, well, no new infections in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle Brown. If you're just joining us, I am talking to Solomon Arnold. <laughs> This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. And we're talking with Solomon Arnold, who is the overall icon mother of the Infinity House. You know, one of the things that you've done, even before before now, is about fighting the HIV epidemic and using your platform as it. I had talked to um, an author who's, I mean, doing quite well, and he talked about when he knew he needed to be tested, but what he took his time because he knew that if he went to this one place to be tested, someone might see him going in there and they would know, you know, why else would he be down here? You know, he said he was sure that some people did know he was gay, but you know, but if he saw him going in there and what you're doing is really encouraging people to get tested using other incentives. Like like you said, if you come to the resource center, uh, you can come into the ball for free. But the whole thing is about getting tested. How big is the epidemic? And why do you, did you in your mind say, you know, we have to get people at where they're at to make a dent in this epidemic to really fight the spread of HIV, AIDS, and to get people to know, educated about things like PrEP and to be safe. Well, 
Well, you know, at 15, I was going through a lot. Needless to say, I was homeless. But one mm-hmm. of the things that was really impacting me on a daily basis, even as, as uh, consistently as 19 years old, was the media and how I would always see these ads of black gay men um, posed as the, the face of HIV, which, okay, there's a lot of gay black people with HIV, one out mm-hmm. of two, actually. Um, and so that's disheartening and scary and emotional. So I made a deal with God. I made a deal with God that if I was to care about HIV without having to have HIV, or if I was to um, care about HIV without getting paid to do something about HIV, that maybe he would spare me from contracting Mm -hmm. it. Fine. If you have it, you live with it, you can have a long, full life. But just like how I didn't want to experiment with drugs and be possibly a crackhead, I didn't want to experiment with unprotected sex and possibly become infected with HIV. So luckily with being negative, I've been able to maintain that focus and that commitment to God and myself and the community. And I've also been able to sort of reconcile the fact that I can't help everyone and that everyone has to make their own decisions and everyone has to take their own sexual responsibility seriously and that, and that even if, you make some bad decisions and have to deal with some severe consequences that you're able to deal with it the best that you can. And so I try to encourage and support people no matter what stage of life they're in, no matter what their HIV status is, no matter what their rationale uh, and, and perspective is on being positive or being negative with someone that's positive. Um, and so basically what I ended up doing uh, was trying to figure out a way to make getting tested more accessible. And so the same CDPH who helped sponsor the collaborative conference that we did in 2009 was actually the very first entity besides KC Productions, which is not a nonprofit organization, but helped me fund and produce my very first fall in 2003, the first annual, which is now the longest-running house ball in all ballroom history, Adam's Family Ball, Mm -hmm. which is now turned into a brand of SOS. So instead of constantly changing the name, we just changed the name. It's the SOS Ball, but it's all derived from the work that we did in 2003. And Mm -hmm. at that event, it was a direct result of me asking a very pivotal question to CDPH, which was, can we do testing at the ball? And they said to me, what? Do testing at a ball? What if someone gets tested positive? And granted, not being positive, I said, there's no good place to find out you're positive. Better to know your status and be able to do something about it than not. They couldn't refute that. They took the risk because they definitely looked at it as a risk. They took the risk and ended up testing 50 people that day. And as I continued to have my events at the Art Institute and the Navy Pier and the Chicago Center uh, on Halstead and, you know, all these different amazing places, we've been able to test on average 50 people. And that will be no different uh, come April the 6th, 2018 at Chicago State University. Um, and so basically – with being able to impact people's lives, 
encourage them to know their status and getting them tested, it sort of opens up this door that look at all this other stuff that we can be doing, like getting people registered for affordable health care, like getting people enrolled and also at the doctor for full medical examinations and how they can give voice to um, their concerns and be a part of the change that needs to be created, which is all the reason why things have sort of developed in such a way where now my boss are no longer just boss and they never really have been. They're more than that. They're, they're a fashion show. They're a variety show. They're a roundtable. They're a panel discussion. And this year, at the Bolder Than Out uh, Ball, a part of the CJR conference, we are having a panel discussion, a panel discussion called the Phobia Complex. Mm. The Phobia Complex deals with all of the stigma that is cultivated from the ignorance and unfair expectations of heteronormativity, uh, the subjectiveness of religion, the subjectiveness of what it means to be a black man, um, the judgment of what it means to be a black man with a trans woman or a woman with a trans man, uh, mm -hmm. what it means to be uh, assigned a gender versus deciding on your gender identity. Um, it's all of these things not limited to homophobia and transphobia that we speak on all for the purpose of figuring out how to empower the community. But one of the things that is undeniably one of the biggest concerns, even if not a foundational issue, is the HIV epidemic. So the stigma that comes from someone not being able to go to a clinic because they'll be associated or assumed to have HIV, no different than when someone passes in the, in the gay community and everyone first thinks, oh, did he have AIDS? Mm -hmm. As if they don't know that if you're on treatment, you can prevent AIDS altogether. Yeah, you may be HIV positive, but you can become undetectable and unable to transmit it to anyone else, right? So yet and still in the stigma of AIDS, still being, and HIV, still being the black gay man's disease, infection, virus, what have mm -hmm. you. The point is, is that there's also this perception of you're gay, you're going to hell in the church. If you're trans, you're less than, you know, in society. Mm -hmm. if, if you're trans, you're our workers, check writers, prostitutes. When really... A lot of these people that are breaking the law, doing whatever it is they're doing, they're doing it to survive. They're doing it because they have a lack of economic equality. They have a lack of resource, a lack of opportunities. So, yeah, no one is, is advocating for illegal activity or trying to justify prostitution, um, and it is necessary to judge it. Mm -hmm. See, there's mm -hmm. a difference between judging you and damning you to hell versus making a decision to, to make a judgment to say either I'm not going to judge or to say I'm not going to associate with people that do drugs or that are prostitutes or that write checks because I don't want to be in jail or I don't want to make my behaviors any riskier than they, they need to be or I don't want to end up in a situation that I can't get out of. So, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you should be a little judgmental about people doing 
certain things, but that doesn't mean you have to judge the person. Yes, I judged your actions, but I'm not judging you because I might be in your shoes one day. Now, luckily, when I was homeless, I didn't have to prostitute because I was smart enough and focused enough to stay in school and to stay employed and to become an independent minor and to get a roommate and to get an apartment and to be in a successful relationship for six years and to have my heart broken and still not lose my mind all the same mm-hmm. time. For my grandmother, the love of my life, to be gone since 2000 and be able to celebrate her legacy since then and because of that. So, yeah, it ain't easy. HIV is a serious problem. Uh, the phobia complex is going to be a very large discussion. But I think that even with the radio documentary that I produced called Who Knows Best, which is about gender identity, sexuality, and mm-hmm. freedom, I think that will speak to the bigger picture of where I'm trying to take the conversation into advocacy, to activism. Do you find, because you've had this success, you know, like you said, like you turned, went to them, you said, we were, can we test that balls? And they went like, ah, and, then, and you've had this success. Has it opened venues for conversation? Because, like you said, people want to say, oh, it's that black, you know, those black gay men. But we also know that it's affecting black women, it isn't always people who are substance abusers, you know, but here it is. But you have people who are afraid to get tested. I have talked to women who were straight, you know, had a sketchy partner, went in to see a doctor and said, I'd like to get tested for, for HIV and AIDS. And, the, and they say, like, oh, you're not that kind of person. And I've been to churches to where where from the pulpit they were talking about them, meaning LGBTQ people or drug people and how, you know, they need to get tested and said to a minister, you know, you know, somebody sitting right here in your in your pew might be HIV positive and not getting tested because of the way that you are stigmatizing someone who is HIV positive. Have you found that because of the success that you've had in getting tested and being able to talk about that it isn't just a gay disease and that there's different ways that you can track it and the knowledge that you have. Have other avenues opened up for you to be able to encourage discussion to maybe other places will think of, you know what, maybe we need to be testing at this venue here, you know, at that. Well, first of all, you have to open minds before you can open doors. You have Mm -hmm. to open doors to be able to see who's behind it to open hearts. And essentially, in being able to get the testing done at the boss, I've not only inspired an entire generation of agencies that are now doing testing at balls and promoters that are, pro- are promoting, you know, know your status, and being able to get people tested um, to, to know what's going on with their body, at the same time, there's some, uh, there's some issues at hand. And one of those issues is duplication. So a person that's positive goes to get tested at this ball just to get in for free. They, they already know their status, and they don't mm-hmm. even tell you that they know their status. And then the next month or the next week even, they go somewhere else. Somebody else is trying to capitalize off of the, the genuine work that I've created, and that's fine because imitation is, is the, best, um, the best flattery. But the point is, is that, so then they'll go get tested there too. And if they're not identifying again that they are they're not newly positive, newly diagnosed positive, then it makes the numbers statistically look much higher than they are. 
And so, so it might be actually a fact that it's not one out of two men. It's one out of two men that you tested, that you can't retest in and can't recycle in to legitimize your funding. And that actually, uh, because historically HIV has never decreased in the entire existence of the disease, I almost feel like you should not, not be surprised if funding was completely cut. Because if you can't decrease the disease, and all you're doing is managing it for the profit of these pharmaceutical companies, then you don't need to be doing nonprofit work. You need to go ahead and be Gilead as much as we love Gilead. You need to go ahead and become Gilead and make your money off these drugs. Or be progressive and either create a cure or release the cure. And stop trying to make money on, on, on people's hardships. You know, put people ahead of profit. But you know what, though? Yet and still, in order to get there, in order for me to get somebody to care about what a gay black man has to go through, what a trans woman or trans man has to go through, two-spirited or what have you, I have to look at the bigger picture, and I have to see how things are interconnected. So it's not just sort of the intersexuality of how people may function gender fluidly or sexually and in, in, in whatever their endeavors or just in the intersections of their lives, but essentially to how together we are all affected by the ep- epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, women are just as much affected by HIV, not just because of being in relationships with men that are getting out of jail or having sex while they're in jail, where they were at one point were only testing them going into jail and not testing them coming out of the jail, or and clearly they don't provide condoms in jail, so you're having unpretended sex, whether it's rape or consensual, and then you've got the typical DL man that you may be dating and you don't know. It goes far beyond that because people are catching HIV uh, from just being in third-world countries and needing blood transfusion. People are catching mm-hmm. HIV sharing needles. People are catching HIV... Um, and don't even know how they caught HIV from being promiscuous themselves. See, see, women, women hold you know just as much responsibility in a heterosexual relationship of a marriage as you know as the man mm-hmm. does. The woman could be out there cheating, but it's not to place blame. What it is is to recognize that this is a problem for everybody, and that we all need to come together in order to do something about it. And getting tested uh, is 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 not enough. Knowing your status and getting on proper, getting, getting on medication is not enough. What we need to be doing is deregulating these pharmaceutical companies. Sorry, Gilead, but we need to deregulate what you are doing and limit what you are doing because there's no reason why if we value life and we place people over profit that a person statistically that is HIV positive with or without insurance very well may have to pay up to $1,200 a month for medication, and if they don't have this medication or the money to get this medication, would basically die. Mm. You could talk all day about, oh, HIV is involved, and you can live a long life. Not if you ain't on your medication. Not if you Mm -hmm. can't afford it. So I don't understand if I can go to an emergency room and receive medication for free or at least not be refused service because of my inability to pay and just sort of have this debt at hand. And I understand if hospitals were just allowing debt to go rampant, that they'd be closed. 
But I'm just saying, I don't understand that if I can get certain services on the notion that my life is was worth more than my ability to pay, why all of a sudden, when I do start to take my health more responsibly and seriously, and now I've got a regular doctor and I've got maybe some insurance and, you know, and I, and I get my full medical examinations and I know what's going on with my body and if I have some issues, I'm on medication, how if I don't have the ability to pay for that medication, I don't still get the medication. So sure, there's many programs that, you know, oh, no, no, we'll, don't, you know, we can take care of it for you. We can provide the medication for you. We can provide the prep for you because, they, of course, they want you to, to mm-hmm. be healthy, but they also want to make some money off of you. Let's keep it real. And so even that can't even happen half the time it's because our state budget had to pass for two, two to technically three years in Illinois under Governor uh, Runner, and then also um, with the fact that even with the budget passing just last year, now it's a new year, 2018, and agencies or industries such as the ones that are funded from the state for HIV funding were supposed to have received $25 million and only got 10 of it so far from last year after two mm-hmm. years of not getting anything. So how do you expect in demand entertainment, which thrives off the partnership of grassroots and small-owned, culturally sensitive nonprofit organizations, and they can't get their funding from the state, and they can't do what it is that they need to be doing that I'm doing basically for free, which, which is fine. But I'm saying I'm doing your work. I'm doing what you're being paid a grant to do, but then you throw me $500 and think that you've mm-hmm. made a difference. You have not made a difference. So I challenge all organizations, including CGI, to do more. Mm-hmm. Talking about doing nothing is not an option, not doing enough is not an option either. Well, you know, okay, and, that, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a perfect segue. Okay, you were recognized in 2012 by uh, CJR as a community warrior, and clearly you are a warrior. You know, and I've been to Boulder and Out, and they have done, they've had a, a presentation about prep, and they've had that this year you are doing the, the ball, and you're having a VIP reception, you're having a panel. What do you see as it? upping the game and and bolder than out or changing the the narrative that this annual conference has had really to talk about HIV more so than just, you know, having a presentation. And I know that Gilead has been a sponsor in the past. How are you, what was your intention when you said, you know what, this year I'm going to, you know, have this bolder than out ball it's going to be a part of this conference, but then you have a separate segue, like where you like before the ball, you're going to have this panel, you're going to have this discussion. What was your intent? What do you hope to to even jumpstart from this new direction? I wouldn't say necessarily that we're changing the narrative, but changing the outcome, changing the outcome of the conference, changing the outcome of the mission, changing the outcome of the opportunities to take things to the next level because they have been very consistently, they Mm -hmm. have very successfully focused on the African-American, queer and trans, lesbian, bisexual community um, in a way that has surfaced equality 
in the way laws have been changed. In fact, in fact, we're doing more of the work than a lot of these established agencies are doing. So trust and believe it. We had the funding. We could decrease the, we could decrease the academic because we'd have the, the resources and the skill sets together. So instead, because I realized and know my place, I just simply bridge that gap, break those barriers, destigmatize those circumstances. And in doing the conference and allowing myself to be opened up to the opportunity to improve within my own brand as, as well as others, I have found that if you offer something that is meant to be diverse, you can have a diverse outcome. Some of the outcomes are going to be bad. You know, you're going to have, you know, not a lot of people come to some of the, some of the conference. A lot of people come to the other parts of the conference. That's something that you just can't control. But one of the pluses are that the ones that come will get the quality services and information that they need. That the ones that come to the fun and important parts of the conference will be able to be engaged and educated in such a way that it's empowering to them. Um, to be able to, yes, know your status, get some resources, enjoy a meal, have a conversation, give a voice to the unheard, um, enjoying a variety show, walking a ball, becoming a part of the show, competing and persevering, win, lose, or draw, um, having a great time, and sitting at the table with, you know, politicians um, to sort of speak on, on the accountability that is needed of them as we approach the mid-election, and to just simply um, be bolder than out. I mean, that's, that's why the, the conference was named that, because we have to be more than just gay. We have to be gay and brave. Now, I know that Chicago State is your alma mater. What was their... How receptive were they when you said, we want to do, you know, this is what I want to bring here? I mean, they're not just like saying, here's a facility. You're also having this panel discussion. What was their reception to you? I had been trying to host the ball at Chicago State University since I was there. There were departments like the uh, Honors College that wanted me to host the ball, that were asking me to put something together, like the Love Out Loud ball. And so I had been trying to have that event since 2013, uh, same year uh, that CJR was trying to have their first older than out conference. Chicago State University is like no no different than most universities, very political, and with state budget issues and 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 budgets not being passed and all that, it's very hard for them to take certain risks. Um, I was trying to promote this idea from an initiative that I had implemented as a pledge, an online pledge at Olive Harvey as the uh, student advocate and Illinois Violence Prevention Initiative ambassador that basically the solution to violence is love. So Love Out Loud was not originally a thing like bolder than out like um, but it was really more about stopping the violence and so I think that that's a part of how I even got recognized by CJR in 2012 that was the same year that I you know was valedictorian I was graduating and I think that they were like you know what 
this guy is uh, more than just getting people tested. He's doing so much, so, so much work and so many things. Let's recognize him. And I was recognizing the need for the activism and uh, seeing the conflicts in media, media ethics and was wanting to take things to the next level in my outreach ability. And so, yes, hosting an event in Chicago State would have been amazing. But unfortunately, it wasn't a good time for them because uh, basically uh, we were dealing with some issues with the president. Dr. Wayne Watson was a great president, in my opinion, but, and very politically connected. He also had derived from city colleges, so here I was following his drama indirectly. And basically, when uh, organizations would come to them, if they felt like this would bring light to a conflict, they wouldn't do it. So trying to get a school that poses as historically black, which is not, it was historically white, no, your history, um, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe, uh, so therefore there's like these stigmas and biases and phobias against gay people, so we may, we may not want to do uh, a gay event at the school. Oh, yeah, let them have their, because um, that's how to look at it, let them have their LGBT club, but we ain't having no ball. Okay, so, so basically what ended up happening, even though the Love Out Loud initiative was supposed to be about stopping the violence, signing up for volunteerism, um, getting active in your community, it took the school almost closing to realizing that there was room for growth, honestly. When they didn't get mm. that state budget for two years and Wayne had already left and the state budget didn't pass, basically what ended up happening was uh, they started realizing that some changes needed to be made. So even though, uh, besides helping write articles about um, in- intimate partners' violence, a.k.a. domestic violence, and how that affects you know men and women and after helping organize the uh, Save CSU initiative and helping initiate several uh, protests for Stop the Violence in the Community, whether it was downtown, on campus, down King Drive, on the Expressway, we were able to show that our students, our alumni, our staff and faculty have an ability to do far more than what they're doing. So including making... CSU more of an inclusive and accepting environment for queer and trans people became very important to the Student Government Association. And it's some of my very own infinity children who are now senators of SGA and who are aspiring to be the president of SGA as I was president of Phi Theta Capital, that together in concert of those efforts were able to uh, implement some things that had never been implemented before. So not only will this be a historic event for being the first ball ever to be hosted, as you mean that Mark Loveless, a part of uh, CJR, was still doing his voting in a ball and never actually got a chance to host it, whether the first one or any of them, uh, at the Chicago State. And here I was in a position where basically they were just asking me what date did I want, doing what needs to be done as the icon that I am, helping the ones that need the help the most, to give the voice to the ones that are, are hurt the least, and said to myself, I'm going to partner with, with Mark. Oh, yes, with Mark. He's going to be doing some things that are going to make things more complicated, and I'm going to be doing some things that I'm trying to do to simplify it. And I said, you know what? Together, we can still make a difference, despite it all. So I said, you know what, Mark? Why don't we have a ball join the conference? Since we just had one very successfully mm-hmm. during 
all of the other conferences I've ever done. We had a ball for the World um, World AIDS uh, Day Youth Conference. We had a, a ball simulation of the Just for Youth Conference. We definitely had a ball, honey. You, you didn't go to the ball at the Creighton Change Conference. You missed the whole conference. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Thank said, you. you know what? <laughs> the, right. So I said, you know what? I said, Boulder and Out deserve to have a ball. So I said, even though I'm not committing to doing no ball, no every year, uh, a ball every year when you have your conference. But I said, but this year, baby, we having a ball. And we're going to have it at Chicago State University, and we're going to be bolder, bolder, and more bolder than out than we've ever been before. I'm excited. Well, that, that is so exciting. Now, we're going to take our second break. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Back. Solomon, you know, bolder than out, it's going to start that Friday at the King Center and with a job and resource fair. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and can you sort of like lay out how the day will go flowing into your event that night? And also tell us a little bit, well, first about the day things. Do you have to go to the whole thing? What is the benefit? What will someone who, say, would come to the ball that night, why would they want to go to the activities during the day? Well, you know, because there is a variety of opportunities, a variety of needs, a variety of scopes in doing a conference, it's important to diversify what it is that you're doing. And so even though um, there is so much knowledge and opportunity available that it really would behoove anybody to want to attend all parts of it. But it is a long day. And we do realize that some people are only interested in certain parts. And so we're trying to bring an element of all parts into each part. So that way you don't miss anything no matter what you participate in. One of the benefits for some that are interested in attending the resource fair, for instance, is that you'll be able, again, you'll be able to get into the bar for free if you go to the resource fair, even if, you know, they just got tested last week or something. They, they're tired of getting tested. So they say, you know what, I'll go to the resource fair instead. Or, you know what, child, I don't care about getting tested. I'm going to go to the resource fair and get tested. So now not only am I getting it for free, but I get to eat. I, I get to be a part of that VIP reception, mm-hmm. um, something that will be available for free for CSU students regardless. They don't have to go to the conference or they don't have to go to the resource fair. They don't have to go to – they don't have to get tested or anything because – the school is sponsoring the event as well. I mean, come on, they're providing the space, providing the food. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it would behoove us to accommodate the students because that was the whole point, to engage the students and to educate them and embrace the LGBT community, making it more inclusive on campus all at the same time. And so, yes, people will 
have the opportunity to come and participate at the resource fair to get job readiness skills, to get resume building and, um, you know, resume assistance um, at the fair, be able to sign up for certain jobs that are available, um, be able to enroll in the Art School Matters and One Chicago Opportunities, um, be able to get information about PrEP and HIV um, and an assortment of services for those at high risk or that are testing positive. And even though we won't really be doing testing there, it's just all connected that, you know, if you're going to enroll into a PrEP program, you're going to have to get tested every month. And so you probably mm-hmm. would get tested by Providence Hospital at that, in, that, in that instance because that's who their um, HIV testing um, partner is. And so uh, opening the dress at 9 in the morning, uh, a kitchen table talk at 10 in the morning, and that would be talking about um, all of the um, significant issues, almost like a, a final homework assignment, final preparation for the panel discussion. So we're going to mm-hmm. get it all out, get all your conflicts out, as I did in this interview. Um, get all your conflicts out because when you get to this panel discussion, you're going to need to be impartial and professional and neutral and focused on the positives, not the negatives. And, and so, yeah, so we'll have a, a conversation about HIV, about gender identity, about social, you know, the social constructs of, and limitations of society and how we can make a difference and get involved and mentor each other and love on each other. Um, by 11, that would be like the second stage of that same conversation happening concurrently, um, you know, likely prioritized about the public health aspect transitioning into the social um, service dynamic. By 12 o'clock, we'll take a, a, a lunch break. You know. And basically, uh, particularly for my young people who are coming, that I'm recruiting for CJR, um, at least 20 people is what I'm uh, setting a goal to be able to fulfill his part of the event sponsorship he's providing um, for basically incentives where if you come to the CGR Resource Center, CGR is paying your way into the ball. So it's not just like oh, you're getting okay. the ball for free. It's really CGR is going to pay your way to get into the ball for free, just like Howard Brown would pay your way to get into the ball if you got tested. So mm-hmm. I'm really in a very conducive situation because I've got a venue that's sponsored, food that's sponsored. I'm helping CGR with the conference. I'm doing the work that needs to be done. And you want to get tested? We get, you know, a little bit of money for the event overhead. That way, if you want to not be tested and come to learn about the resources available in the community, that's another way where you can, where you can get into the buffer, you know, complimentary, at least from your own pocket. And so it's a great, it's a great thing because it, nonprofit work costs us money. And mm-hmm. sometimes you're digging yourself in a hole trying to help somebody else out of theirs. And so you can't help, can't help somebody else if you can't help yourself. So we try to be as impartial as possible, but realistic in our financial means. And so anyway, so after the and then at 1 o'clock, we're going to do workshops. Mm-hmm. So the workshops are going to be, again, still concurrent, but it's going to start off with uh, sort of like a scream exercise. That's the only way I can really describe it, where you are learning how to not only give voice to yourself, but how to control that voice without getting hoarse. 
for singing, mm. for public speaking, for cheering, uh, for, you know, choir, what have you. Uh, and it seems like, well, what does that have to do with anything? But that's just the, the, the model that we utilize. We utilize okay. the model of fun and important to get young people involved. So, yeah, come to a ball. Get your life. Oh, you get to the door. Oh, you don't have a you know, donation. Just go ahead and get tested. Okay, I get tested. So now you did something purposeful besides just voguing, right? Oh, you know, mm-hmm. so cute voguing. No, it ain't just cute voguing. That, that's someone empowered to know their status of voguing. How, how you doing? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the point is, is that so then we'll have our workshop, likely uh, one of the extracurricular workshops. And then um, since a workshop, Ballroom 101, let's answer all your questions about what a ball is, what a house is, what this category is for. So that way when you get to the ball, I ain't got to surprise you if you get chopped, meaning you didn't make the cut and you didn't get mm-hmm. a chance to compete. There's all these little different rules that I would have to stop the ball to explain that could be explained in that workshop. So I actually love the inspiration of the idea of what Mark wants mm-hmm. to do. And I think that we still should have a day ball. And once we complete the workshop, hopefully uh, no later than 3 o'clock, because that was what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be done at 2, no later than 3. Um, we can then end there. And that gives people a chance to take another break for dinner if they don't qualify to eat with us at Chicago State or to go home and get changed if they didn't bring a bag with them, um, to just be able to run some last-minute errands, take a nap. I mean, it's going to be a long day. So you've got to give people mm-hmm. time to travel or whatever the, the time frame obstacles may be, time constraints may be. So, yeah. One way or another, whether you have sleep, half dress, half fed, uh, you know, half there, you know, on your way, we're going to be starting at 5 o'clock at Chicago State University. You hear me? We're serving food. We're going to probably end up serving it for free, whether you got tested or not, because I just don't mm-hmm. believe in let food go to waste. We're going to be serving food at 5 o'clock. We're doing a panel discussion that's going to be uh, videotaped for in part of a documentary I'm working on. Uh, which means that even if the audience ain't there, we can still run with this because we, we're going to be doing it for the camera if nothing else. And it only takes one person to show up for it to be purposeful. I only need to help and save one life for it to matter. So I don't care about mm-hmm. the mask. I don't care about a packed house. I don't care about uh, quantity. I care about quality. And I'm going to provide the best show and the best ball and the best panel discussion you've probably seen all your life. You, you already know what, what I give and what I, I show mm-hmm. now at the Creating Change Conference for the Age of Change Ball. The point is, we talk about the Bolder Than Out Conference and the Bolder Than Out Ball. And I'm here to tell you that after we have our meal at 5 and our panel discussion at 6, we're going to then do a tribute variety show at 7, and the ball will be balling all out ball at 8. We're going to continue that on for the duration. I don't normally give the time of the ending of the event because then want to show up an hour or two hours before it ends. So show mm-hmm, up late and mm-hmm. gag because I'm starting on time, y'all. Y'all better learn it before you before, before you uh you know find out that I that I wasn't playing. And uh, then we're gonna also have an after ball. We got we got a whole lot of ball going on because now the kids mm-hmm. want to have an after party. They call it an aftermath ball. Okay. So that's gonna be um, a separate entity. Ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm just supporting it and judging. And uh, we're going to do that somewhere else. I'm not advertising this. Sorry, y'all. We got any sponsors. Um, and basically what ended up happening is uh, that event will be whatever time in the late evening they decide to have it and go to whatever time they decide in the latest evening. But typically balls 
uh, run from 11 to 3 a.m. Um, some okay. often go until 6 in the morning. But I'm here to tell you that that day is gone. We- now, I know that Saturday, um, those who survive Friday night, I mean, who, and who are up, they're going, not going to start the program until 1 o'clock, and that will be back at the King Center? Day 2, which will be more workshops and more kitchen table talk opportunities and possible even resource um, accessibilities will be also um, at the Park District on Saturday from roughly 1 to 5 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have a brunch that we're going to be doing on that Sunday. It will be invite only. Um, it will be a ticketed event, paid, paid tickets in advance. It's true. It's the realization that you're not in it alone and that people do care about you and that, and that change is coming and has arrived and that basically even with being a small unfunded organization like in entertainment, even with um, CVR historically having challenges with outreach, which is why they partner with organizations like mine, uh, even if um, there are state budget issues where funds have still not been released from last year and then the two years before that weren't released at all, um, yet and still, um, I feel like Bolder Than Out has just begun. I feel like Bolder Than Out as a conference, as an idea, as a mission, is sort of rebirthed. Because yes. whether I'm involved every year or not, the point is, is that it's growing. And so is my brand, mm-hmm. so is Indian Entertainment, so is the Boston community, and so is Chicago State. Chicago State really is, and I have to say, and thank them so much, Chicago State really is interested in better engaging their students and better inclusifying the queer and trans people of the community on campus because they recognize that need. Well, Solomon, I want to thank you for all you've done in the past and all that that you continue to do. I think you are going to help a whole new generation live bolder than out. I want to thank you for your time today and um, look forward to seeing you in Chicago. Oh, absolutely. You're welcome. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be a part of Collections and to have a voice and to uh, share a perspective that may be popular or controversial, but either way, my truth. Well, that's, that's what's important. It's your truth. Well, again, Solomon, thank you so much for being with us. I want to thank tonight's guest, Solomon Arnold, for joining us on Collections by Michelle Brown. Solomon is the founder of In Demand Entertainment and the overall icon mother of the House Infinity. The 6th Annual Bolder Than Out Conference begins Friday, April 6th at the King Center on Cottage Grove in Chicago. You can get the complete schedule and more information about the conference's kitchen table actions at the website www.cjrchicago.org. This year, the conference is partnering with In Demand Entertainment to host the Bolder Than Out Ball Friday night at Chicago State University. There will be a VIP reception and panel discussion at the university located on South King Drive. To get more information about the ball and information about In Demand Entertainment, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. 
to register for the ball, there is an event page, BTO Ball. You can listen to this or past episodes of Collections by Michelle Brown on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for our future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of your intersectionality, and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.